0: All right, let's get our Bibles out tonight, John chapter 4, John chapter 4, don't expect to preach too long tonight, Brother Jim asked me to have him out by halftime, no, not really, he did, <laughs> I got five minutes, okay, all right, well, we may be, we may be a little late, but all right, John, Ch- I know, I made that up. It wasn't a lie, it was a joke. There's a difference. But John chapter 4, and uh, we're looking at the thought here tonight of worshiping in spirit and in truth. So let's stand together. John chapter 4. We'll start reading in verse 7. It says, There cometh a the woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it was that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, and and thou saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I I think... Many times, uh, we as Christians make worship harder than it needs to be. We look at Christianity, and that word worship has been used in so many different ways that many people are confused actually on what it is. But tonight we're looking at something that is so simple, yet so misunderstood, and that is what is true worship? What is true worship? Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your word, the privilege that it is to be here together today. A true, true worship consists of? And in this passage, Jesus spoke of his desire for true worshipers. He says, the father seeketh such to worship him. God is seeking true worship from us. But there's many old thoughts and misconceptions on what that is. And we look in this, this text of Jesus and the woman at the well. and We find Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman. And he went up to her and he said, give me to drink. And, and as she began to speak to him and as she was somewhat surprised because he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. They really didn't deal with them often. But she asked for living water. He asked for if, her if she could if she wanted living water. And, and, and where the temple was on that mountain, the Samaritan people would hold their Passovers and other Jewish feasts there. And it was destroyed in 129 BC, 160 years before Jesus' interaction with this woman. But she said her fathers and, the, and the, the, the religious people there in Samaria, they would still pray toward that mountain. They would still worship toward that mountain in respect to their God. And this woman reduced the religious differences to tradition and opinion, not scripture. You know, the Jews had a different opinion of of Mount Gerizim and their priests and the limitation of Moses' law there. And Jesus made it clear to her, he said, you know not what you worship. He said, salvation is of the Jews and, and what they are doing is what God has commanded them to do. And Jerusalem is clearly where God placed worship at that time and where both temples there were built for Jehovah. So it was settled In Deuteronomy 12 and 1 Kings chapter 9, that Jerusalem was the true place where men ought to worship and where the priests would go and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And the Samaritans were ignorant about worshiping God correctly. But Jesus really didn't talk to her much about this at this point. He waited on his timing and he chose for the sake of argument to allow her assumption of worship. Because he was about to prophesy an incredible thing. The worship of God was going to leave Jerusalem. He tells there, there in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Worship was about to change for everyone. The long-standing difference between the Jews and the Samaritans, the thing that they argued over, the thing that they held... Uh, problems over and they they would continue to, to hold hard feelings against each other for this both of those would be replaced and he was declaring here that the dispensation of grace is about to be ushered in and there'd be no more distinction of where to worship and have your feast and that anyone very soon would have access to God on their own we understand soon the temple veil beyond this point was going to be torn in two and they'd no longer need a priest to go on their behalf And as Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, that we can have boldness to enter into the holy of holies on our own. You know, obviously today we know it's different. But we also know this conversation is in the word of God for a specific reason. Because many times, Christians will fall or stray in their mindset of worship. You know, 2,000 years later, We could go around tonight and ask people what worship is and we would get many different answers, wouldn't we? Worship is not a place, not a tradition, not habitual rituals. It is simpler and deeper than that. Clarence Sexton said, It is Satan's work to substitute anything or anyone for true worship of the true and living God. This is an assault against God. Kind of what we spoke on this morning. He's doing anything he can to take away from what true worship is. He's doing anything he can to get people feeling they are doing something that is honoring to God when it is truly not. Worship, is, is it a place? No. Is it a certain noise? Is it, is it a song? No. It's not coming to church and it's not simply coming to church and singing songs out of, out of a song book. It's not just sitting in a pew or putting time in and, a, and, and a, listening to a sermon or a Sunday school lesson. It's not just participating in communion. Just because we go to a certain place or do certain activities, it doesn't mean we are worshiping. Sadly, as Christians, we waste so many opportunities to give true worship to God. D.L. Moody on this thought, he said, do not flatter yourselves. If you go to places of worship merely to look about you or to hear music, you are not worshiping God. If we look here in this text, the Samaritans thought they were doing it right, but they weren't. And their pride and their division from the Jews kept them from ever getting it right, and they continued to pass down lie after lie after lie where they thought they were doing something that honored God, but it wasn't what he commanded them to do. And then we look at the Jews' side. The Pharisees, they were hypocrites. They'd gotten so tied up in tradition and absorbed in those things and the law that they wouldn't accept the answers to the prophecy when Jesus was right before them. We looked at that last week. But these these Jews, they were so focused on the law that they were no longer focused on the one who needed to be worshipped. When Jesus prophesied, and we understand today that worship has changed for everyone. It's no longer about going to the temple or having a priest go on our behalf. It's about receiving the Savior, having the priesthood, and being able to go to God on our own. But these people in their religion ended up blinding them. So Here's a question tonight. How do we view our time at church? As, as we approach the Sunday morning service today, as we approach the service tonight, What were we seeking to accomplish? What were we seeking to get? You know, I loved just a moment ago that direct statement from Moody on worship. He says, are we going to see everyone? Are we going to be blessed? Are we going to see our friends? Are we going to have fellowship? Are we going because we're we're bored being at the house? Or are we coming just because it's, it's what good people do? Or are we coming to worship God? So what is true worship? Is it singing? Giving an offering? Is it teaching or preaching? Is it reading the Bible? Is it serving? The definition we find here of worship, it's it's the word proskuneo. It means to fawn or crouch to, to prostrate oneself in reverence or adoration. You know, one, one way that we could look at worship tonight is to think of it as worship. When we worship something, we are declaring whatever that is to be worthy. If you look at the Word of God and the psalmist wrote, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. He is worthy of worship. The Greek word for worship implies an attitude for reverence. It, it implies physical gestures as, as kissing a hand or kneeling. A psalmist in Psalm 95 said, Oh, come, let us worship and what? Bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. There is, a, there is an attitude of humility before the object of worship, which is God. So when we worship something, we, are, we act as it has value. Understanding there's an awareness there of who we are and who he is. Understanding that we are nothing and He is everything. And we find examples of this in the Word of God. If we were to look in Luke chapter 5, we're going to be there uh, maybe even next Sunday, but uh, actually a couple of weeks from now, but we see Peter coming to a realization of who Jesus is. And he fell to the feet of Jesus and confessed his sins as being unworthy. We can look at Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah saw God for who he was and and who God was and who he was himself. And he said, woe is me for I am undone. Once he had true worship, once he recognized recognized God as he truly was, he saw himself differently, didn't he? So worship is an action. Something that needs to be done on our end. It's an action of us giving something to God. It's an action of us getting low, humbling ourselves and exalting him. A man by the name of Eugene Patterson, he said, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. So worship itself is an act that develops feelings for God, an act that continues to to bring humility about the one who is worshiping. And even more and more as they do that, recognizing who he truly is and what he deserves. And as Jesus was explaining these things to this woman, he told her that you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Two different ways. So what is worshiping in spirit? You know, worship at this point in human history had become a very physical thing. They had their temple. They had their mountain they looked to. They were offering sacrifices. There was all these outward observances being held. And in contrast to those physical actions, Jesus told this woman that true worshipers are, are going to worship me, first of all, in spirit. He began by saying God is a spirit. And as we worship these, God and the spirit of God, we are, our spirit is in tune with his spirit. Since he is spirit, he must receive spiritual worship. But said, a pure, a holy, a spiritual worship, therefore, is such as he seeks the offering of the soul rather than the formal offering of the body. It's not just about what is seen on the outside. It's not just about what we do on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. It's about where the heart is in approach to the one we are worshiping. It's about where our attitude is towards him or our our awareness of him and who he is and what he deserves. So worship doesn't depend on a particular place or an outward outward method but worship in spirit is dependent on the internal state of the individual worshiper. It's dependent on the heart. The condition of it. There's a woman by the name of Joni Erickson Tata. She had a terrible accident and left her quadriplegic. And those of you that may know her story, she had many physical limitations, but she became an author and she became an artist. And over 25 years ago, she married her husband. For her wedding, she planned to come down the center aisle there in her wheelchair. And, but some things went wrong from how she had planned it to happen. And just before she came in, she rolled over her gown and she had marks all over it. And the flowers she had in her lap because she couldn't use her arms had slipped and fallen to the side. And she was filled with disappointment, and she said, until the doors opened and she saw her husband. She said, "Here is was the man who was committing his love and his life to me. And she said, once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting on my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, the grease marks on my dress, the rip in my gown, all paled in comparison. When we truly see God for who he is, he will be all that matters. And as we truly approach him in worship and spirit, it will make a difference. And it will honor him. So what what does your personal worship look like? It's not just something we need to do on Sunday or on Wednesday. What's it going to look like for you tomorrow? Tomorrow? Do you have time where you you just truly adore your God, where you truly worship him? You worship him in spirit. I'm not telling you anything to lift myself up. I just want to tell you what I do. There's one thing I really love to do. You can ask my wife is I like to go on walks. And when I go on walks, that is a time where it's just me and God. I can walk and wherever I'm at and I can, I can pray to him, I can, I can sing, I can, think, I can think of him, I can give him praise. And if you're ever driving around Midland and you see me walking down a, a sidewalk talking, to, talking, I am not talking to myself. <laughs> I haven't lost my mind or not having a mental breakdown and I'm, I'm talking to God. Just what, that's what I like to do and, and, and it helps my awareness of him and I can lift him up and I can clear any problems that are in my heart. I can draw closer to him at that moment. That's something I like to do. Because the higher I make him in my heart, the lower I get. And the lower I get, the more dependent I am on him to be the husband, the father, the pastor that I need to be. And, and when I do that, I can sense one-on-one with him. And those of you that have truly worshiped God, you can, you can sense those moments where your spirit is in tune with his spirit. where You can truly sense his presence in your life and his working on your behalf. Another thing I do, I, I started uh, many years ago as, as an intern there in Indiana. But Sunday mornings are special to me, and I, I've told some of the men here that uh, if you ever wondered, that, I really I'd like nobody to be here before eight o'clock on a Sunday morning because I like to get here early and spend some time with God on my own. And I'll come, as I did in Indiana as a music pastor, I would go to church around five thirty-six in the morning, and I would just have time with me and God there in the church. And I'd go over things for the day, and I'd go to the auditorium and I'd pray. I'd sing, have a time with God. And, and as your pastor, as, as I, I am preparing my heart every Sunday morning for, for what we are doing here, but also just having time with God, just me and him, talking to him. It's a special time to me. And, and as I come, I'll, I'll, I'll walk around the auditorium or I'll, I'll be here at the altar and I may walk around and sing. I may walk around and pray. And every time I finish praying, I don't say amen. I get up and head to the office so I can keep, keep that mode of worship in, in my heart and mind. I tell you, it's special. That's worshiping in spirit. You know, worshiping in spirit requires a one-on-one communion with God, making him all that matters, removing every distraction, focusing on him. He desires true worship, first of all, in spirit. Then he says worship in truth. Worshiping God in truth means to worship him according to his word. What did he tell us? Sanctify them through thy truth. What? Thy word is truth. But many churches, many denominations, many religious groups are now deciding themselves how they should worship God rather than abiding by the truth of the word of God. There's many examples we can look to. I can can give you one right now. The Church of England and some parts of the UK have, had decided to replace hymns with rock songs. Not, not Christian rock songs, just rock songs. And in particular, an article I read, they were singing songs by, by the group U2. And in doing that, they would get together, they'd gather under the name of God, and they would just sing secular songs and, and have a some time of fellowship together, and they were calling that worship. There's many churches all all over the world that are wandering further and further from the truth, trying to bring people in or trying to make people feel good or trying to create an experience instead of not just worshiping in spirit, but then worshiping in truth, the way he's commanded us to, what is in in, uh, oneness with his word. And what happens when they do that? They're making worship about themselves and not about God. So as we carry on as a church and as we carry on in individual lives, as we look to God and look to praise him through song, through music, through activities, through a time of prayer, through whatever it is that we desire to do, we must determine every aspect of our worship with the word of God, without regard for anything else. Even if it means making people more comfortable, even if it means bringing more people in or or drawing a crowd, we need to look to the word of God and make sure what we are doing lines up with what is there. The word of God is truth and we must worship according to truth, his doctrine. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. If we want our worship to be pleasing to him, if we want our worship to be perfect, if we want our worship to be according to his word, we need to look to what he's commanded us to use to know what we are doing is truth, is right. It doesn't matter how ancient an act may be. It doesn't matter how long people have done it or how sincere the act is. If it is contrary to the word of God, it's not right. It's not truth. All that we are, all that we have should be devoted to God. Jeremiah chapter 10, he said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We are not to direct our own steps. We are not to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We need to hold to the word of God and his commands. And in applying that to worship, we are not to decide ourselves how we want to worship God. Or how we think is best to worship God. But we must worship Him in spirit and in truth, and the truth being in accordance with the Bible. So let God direct our steps, not just in our, in our physical walk, not just in the things that we do, but in our worship according to the truth of his word. And Satan wants nothing more than to incorporate worldly things into the worship of the church because he's the God of this world, as he spoke this morning. And if he can, and if he can hinder any christian or any individual from giving true glory to god he's going to do it if he can disguise it as something that is being impactful on people and it takes away from god and puts it on the individual that's on the platform or puts it on the individual in their seat or individual wherever they are he's going to try and he's going to do it and just because it looks good or just because it seems like it's making a difference does not mean it is right The psalmist said, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. And he, we need to give reverence to God. We must come to worship our father with godly fear, godly reverence. We should be in a right frame of mind to worship our Lord in in spirit and in truth. Reverence. What is, what is reverence? What's the definition? Downcast eyes and a bowed head. Recognizing in his presence that we are unholy and he is holy. And he, t- he told the woman at the well there in verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He said the time is now. Not a once a week thing. Not a uh, just for Sundays or for Wednesdays, not for you know revival meetings, not just for your devotions in the morning, but a lifestyle of worship in spirit and truth. In the Word of God, we find Moses and the children of Israel worshiping after every victory. Luke chapter seven, we see Mary in the alabaster box. It wasn't a service, was it? It was fellowship. You know, Abraham had a willingness to sacrifice his son there on the mount as God commanded him. David and Ziklag, when the people spake of stoning him, what did he do? Encouraged himself in God in that moment. We can look at Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 in a, in a prison cell, praising God there in, the, in that dark dungeon as they were. Those weren't in a temple. They, they didn't go to a synagogue. We need to worship God Each and every day of our life, each and every moment that that we can look to him, we need to do so. We can worship him in the good and the bad. We can worship him at morning and at night, in the valley and in the mountaintop, in the victories and when we feel defeated, every day. The true worship to God, in spirit and in truth, requires commitment from the Christian. Jesus said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He continued on, but God must come first in our everyday lives. We should love him more than anything else. If anyone or anything comes before God, it it has become a God, hasn't it? A life of true worship will keep us from falling into these traps before us. And he deserves nothing short of complete devotion. Look at Second Timothy chapter four. We're wrapping up here. You know, God must be the main and only focus of our worship, but as we look to the end times... More and more Christians, more and more churches, will wander from the truth of god 's Word and decide for themselves what they give God, more focused on pleasing people than pleasing God, Second Timothy chapter four, verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned. Unto fables. That's what's gonna happen. But it doesn't happen to have to ha- have to happen to you. It doesn't have to happen in this church. We need to be committed to worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, not worshiping how we want to, but how God, but how God wants me to do it. And God not only expects it, but He is seeking it. it said there in verse 23. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Do you find it incredible tonight that, that God wants you individually to worship him? He wants that fellowship. He desires that interaction with you. He is seeking it. And if God is expecting something from me, then my best decision is to choose that path. If we are surrendered and have a heart of worship, we won't want it any other way. And since God is seeking true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth, we should make it a priority to become such a worshiper. In verse 24, it's, it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's the command, that's the only way, it's a necessity. It's not optional, it's essential if we want to worship him. You know, we've received the greatest gift we could ever receive from an all-powerful, all-knowing God. And if he is seeking something from us, we should desire to give it to him every day. In every moment, in every mountain, every valley, every second of our life, we can live a life of worship and spirit And in truth, I love love this church, and I I love what we are doing here. I love the fellowship that we have. I love the family that it is, and and I know God intends for this place to uplift people, and for us to be edified, and for us to be encouraged, and for us to lift each other up and pray for one another. But that's not all He expects from us. Yeah, I've I've heard it many times. As a music pastor, I, I heard it often. And people will come and they, they, really, they really like the music or they really like this or this or that in service. And you may have heard it or said it at once in your life. Or you get in the car and you say, you know what? I didn't get much from church today. Yeah, it wasn't my favorite. I like last week's music better. Or last week's message was a little better. Or I, li- I like this hymn that we sung a couple weeks ago more than what we sang today. It just wasn't my favorite. I didn't get anything. Let's turn that around. What did God get from you? If we're not careful, we can come to church with only an expectation to get and and no intention on giving anything in return. Our Father seeks true worship. Are we giving it? He's seeking true worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Are we pleasing him in that area of our life? Every head bowed, every eye closed.